0: If you can stay for connections, we appreciate you two, uh, your timeliness. Um, Cheryl and I will not be here. We are traveling this afternoon up to see our... Have I told you this, about the cutest kid in the world? I've told you that before, right? Uh, to see our grandson and our daughter is important, and our son-in-law, and son-in-law. Um, so this morning we are beginning Mark chapter 2. We'll be looking at the first 12 verses, last week we reflected on the importance of prioritizing a quiet solitude with God in prayer, a regular rhythm of quiet solitude as as is exemplified by Jesus. Um, And we we talked about that, how how much even more that needs to happen um, in a day that things are just so noisy so busy, and everything seems to crowd out those things that are most important. Uh, It struck me, actually, Cheryl reminded me of this, that in C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters, um, which is an interesting book if you've never read it, because it's written from the perspective of a senior demon, Screwtape, writing to his, what he calls his nephew and his understudy, Wormwood. And he writes this, he says, um, Noise, the grand dynamism, The audible expression of all that is exultant, ruthless, and virile. Noise which alone defends us from silly qualms, despairing scruples, and impossible desires. We will make the whole universe a noise in the end. Now again, this is a demon speaking. We will make the whole universe a noise in the end. We have already made great strides in this direction as regards to earth. The melodies and silences of heaven will be shouted down in the end, but I admit we have not yet made it loud enough or anything like it. Research is in progress. That was written in 1942. (laughs) 1942. How much more do we need to prioritize quiet solitude in our day? This week, we're going to enter into another beautiful story of healing, Uh, but as is typical with Jesus, nothing is typical. Um, The story begins... A, a series, most likely not a cr- truly a chronological series, but I've mentioned before that that was not necessarily uh, all the gospel writers' goal, to have complete chronolo- chronology, but often uh, some of the things that they enter into are thematic. So Mark enters us into this um, this series of conflicts between Jesus and the Jewish religious establishment, and that starts off with the story Today And the irony, of course, is that these men were supposed to be those who devoted themselves and their lives to God, yet they didn't recognize God when he was in their midst, when, when he had put on flesh and was dwelling and were tabernacling among them, when he was staring in the face, when he was speaking to them and and performing miracles and preaching and teaching. And I think for some of us who have been Christians for a long time, this is a bit of a cautionary tale. It should be a bit sobering to us that the religious establishment were the ones that missed Jesus, were the ones that missed God in their midst. You know, if God works outside how we expect him to work, or outside the tight parameters of our religious tradition. Will we be able to recognize and embrace the move of God, even when it's staring us face to face? So let's start by reading Mark chapter 2. Again, we're going to look at all 12 verses in the beginning story here, but we'll start by reading the first five says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered, so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. So we assume that there's four, there's at least four Of these friends bringing a paralytic. Verse 4. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it. Lowered the mat. The paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralytic. Son. Your sins are forgiven. Our context has us back in Capernaum. We're still in Galilee, uh, still on that northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. This is after Jesus has done uh, a preaching tour through Galilee. The the NIV, what I just read, the New International Version, it says... A few days, that, that's actually probably a bit of a narrow uh, terming of the Greek. It, it literally just means after days. So it really could have been any period of time. Mark's just saying some time has passed. So Jesus has done this tour. Now he's returned to uh, Capernaum, which interestingly enough, uh, Mark calls his home. He had returned home. And, and again, Jesus has made this, this move from Nazareth to Capernaum and has now become his home base. Uh, Jesus is preaching. He's not preaching in a synagogue. He's preaching in a home, in an unspecified home. Many people believe this, again, to be uh, the home of Peter, Peter and Andrew. We're not sure of that. And as usual, Jesus draws a huge crowd, Um, so much so that, that we just kind of envision Uh, People hanging on the sills. Again, these homes would have been open air if you've traveled to some other places in the world. You realize not everyone has, especially in warm weather climates or in poor warm weather climates, they don't all have windows that open and close. Uh, Things are open to the air. You just imagine people kind of hanging on the sills, clustered outside the doorway. It's a large crowd. At this time, while Jesus is teaching, we don't know why these guys showed up when they did. Um, but they come, a group of men come carrying their friend who is paralyzed. We don't know, again, his exact condition. Is is he paralyzed from the neck down? Is he paralyzed from the waist down? We know that he, at some level, is completely um, hurting and limited in in his body. So much so that he's got these friends that have to carry him. I was thinking just to start off of how, how rare true friendship is and how, how really true friendship is in short demand, right? True friendship takes a lot of work. Uh, true friendship takes a lot of sacrifice. Um, true friendship goes far beyond even as a church community meeting with each other for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. You may have a thousand Facebook friends, right? But you you probably have a handful of true friends. Proverbs 18.24 reads in the message, Friends come and friends go, but a true friend sticks by you like family. So, so the, the, the writer of the Proverbs is saying that, that a true friend is, is by you in good times and bad, right? They, they don't ditch when times get hard. And I think these men are a really beautiful picture of true friendship. This man has friends that, that apparently is not just concerned about what they can get. If you if you have relationships with that, that's not a true friendship. If someone is is in it with you and calling themselves a friend, but they're really just about what they can get, you kind of that friendship is suspect. If you are acting that way and you're really connected to people just because of what they can give you, again, that friendship is very suspect. These guys are not in it just for what they can get, but what they can give. Um, these guys carry their friend when he can't carry himself. That's a true friend. These, uh, these men have friends. I thought it was really um, insightful to say these men ha- uh, this man has friends that know their limitations but also know that in that limitation they need to bring their friend to someone that can actually help them and that's to Jesus It's, it's very interesting in this passage that, that, Jesus, that it says that Jesus saw their faith, and, and he seems to respond to their faith. Now, we're not totally sure what that means. Does it mean, it at very least means the friend's faith, Right? It may have meant the paralyzed man's faith, we're not 100% sure, but there was this idea of this collective faith, this faith in action, this faith that was moving, and Jesus responds to their faith. So how much faith do we have that we would be friends like this? In a sense, standing in the gap for others in faith. How much faith do we have for our friends, for our parents, for our, our, our children, for our siblings, when they're hurting, when they're far away from God, that we would stand in the gap for them and the Lord would see our faith for them. It's really a beautiful picture. This man has friends that are, that are persistent and creative. Um, they're, they're not they're not uh looking at obstacles and kind of that the first thing that hits them they kind of shrug and go oh well i i guess we're stuck i guess we we can't do anything here they don't give up true friend true, true friends don't give up being a true friend means you stick it out a true friend doesn't say ah oh, you know here's the obstacle sorry it's been good but These guys are persistent. They're creative. They come to the house, and there's no way to wedge through the crowd. And it's interesting because, if again, if you think about this picture, Jesus is teaching in the house, and he's probably sitting, that would have been the position of, of a teacher, a rabbi. There's people all around him, what? Listening to Jesus. Oh, Jesus the teacher. Let's hear what he's got to say. Oh, this is really important. Oh, this is really good stuff. This is profound. But yet the listening to Jesus didn't move them to make room for this man. Their listening to Jesus didn't give them enough sympathy or empathy Maybe there was so much hurt around them all the time that, that, that they're listening to Jesus. Oh, great teacher. Made them realize this guy needed to get in. Wow, you know, our, our churches can get like that. You know, where, where we, 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 we come and we say, oh, here's a collection of people, you know, who want to worship God, who want to listen to his word, who want to listen to Jesus. But are we mindful when someone new comes in our midst and slips in and maybe it's hurting? And Are we so calloused by, by those people who are hurting that, that we, we kind of shoulder them out? So that's what you kind of, these guys come up, eh, no, we're listening to Jesus, sorry, sorry, no room here. I, I, want, I really want to be a church, if I could speak to us, right? I want to be a church that's the opposite of that crowd. I really deeply desire that, that, uh, that we are a community that is welcoming to the stranger. That, that moves and makes way and makes room for the hurting. Amen? Amen? Yeah, but that takes work. That takes you know people can come in and we're so used to just talking to our friends and building relationships that we're saying that, that we need to be mindful of what God is doing around us and who God is bringing in our midst. And that doesn't just mean here, because again, wherever you go, you're a representative of Jesus, you're a representative of his people, of his called out people of the church. be so sad if we say we're a people that listen to jesus but we shoulder out the hurting let's be a people that welcomes the stranger receives the hurting these friends i I love these guys these are these are these are buds man these are like these are people you want on your side this is the type of person if you want to be a friend they're they're like i said they're not dissuaded we're often easily deterred from doing good. Well, I don't have the time. Well, you know, that's, I was thinking about it, but it's a lot more involved than I, than I thought. Um, I have my own problems to deal with. That, that's not really my gift set. I, I'm, sure <laughs> I'm sure someone else will do it. I'm sure someone else will do it. I'm sure someone else will do it. The crowd shoulders them out, so these guys, uh, if, if you can envision one of these ancient houses in in uh, this area of the world, it, it would have had a flat roof, probably a one-room dwelling if it was bigger than that, you know, they had some means, and there would be stairs up to this flat roof, so these guys go up to the roof, and the roofs would not have been shingled, obviously. They would have been some conglomeration of thatch and maybe ash and sand and dried mud. That, that's why uh, Mark can say they dug, they started digging, and it was probably, that was probably supported by Joyce and slate tiles. Luke tells us that they moved the tiles. So there was some work to be done, and they literally started digging through this roof. <laughs> can you imagine the mess of this? Can you imagine the disruption? Can you imagine if as we stood here, someone got up in the attic and we were mobbed and you just started, and and, you know, everybody's trying to listen to Jesus and then this noise gets louder and louder, you know, and and, and suddenly a little hole peeks through and dust is coming down and and there's a little bit of daylight and a fist pumps, you know, punches through. It's just, I love the scene. I mean, I, I feel a little bit for Peter if it was Peter's house, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> just imagine, like, Peter going, oh, okay, oh, really, guys, maybe, maybe we should have let you in the front door, right? <laughs> Of course, there's always a lesson in making sure that we're putting people in front of things. Like, I feel like God often is trying to remind me of that. People in front of things. People before things. And the, the roof could be fixed. We could re-mud it. Maybe Jesus would help him do it. He's got some carpentry background. But, but Peter is watching his roof, you know, kind of be torn apart. Jesus apparently doesn't mind getting a little bit of dirt in his head. That's good to know. And um, I always picture—I can't help picture—but uh, picture Jesus getting kind of a wry smile, while all this is going on. He's teaching, and you know, dirt's falling, and and soon everybody's looking up. And and these guys make a big enough hole to lower their friend down in front of Jesus. What kind of friend are you? Are you a fair-weather friend? Do you stick it out when times get difficult? Are you a friend like this? Do you bring bring your friends to Jesus? We can do that through prayer, right? Continuing to bring our friends, our loved ones to Jesus. We can do that in conversation gracefully as we have opportunity. Are you easily dissuaded or are you lovingly determined? Are you even creative like these guys with what it takes to bring others to Jesus, to care for friends who are in need? Um, let's take a minute to consider how Jesus responds to the paralyzed man. It says in verse 5 again, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And one of the most remarkable aspects of Jesus' ministry, I think, is, is that he persistently places a caring focus on the individual, even in the midst of a crowd, and even in the midst of being interrupted from what he was doing, he, he doesn't seem annoyed by the interruption. He sees the man and, and he, he calls him son. I wonder, some people wonder, like, did this man come in? And there's, there's always some conjecture here. Did he come in full of guilt, full of fear, full of shame? And the first word that he hears from Jesus is son. It's <laughs> this term of endearment. It, it very well may have even been kind of hinting at a new identity, son. In modern day Christianity, there's su- there's such a proclivity toward always believing bigger is better. That's the American way, right? Bigger is better, bigger is better, bigger is better, bigger is better. <laughs> and, and I think that we have to remember that as the crowds got bigger and bigger and bigger around Jesus, he always, he always could focus in on the one. And I think we, we need to be careful not to overlook that one person at a time ministry. No matter where we are, right? Whether we're here, whether we're meeting someplace else, whether we're at Mountaintop Grace Community, no matter where we are, there's this aspect where Jesus is you know, we see him in the grand scheme of scripture as the king of the universe, the son of God. And, he's, and on earth he's hounded by people, but it's the one, it's the one, it's the one. That's still true. Jesus doesn't just see the masses, he sees you. And you might feel easy to miss... Some of you are extroverts and gregarious, and the you know the <laughs> the the center of attention when they ever come into the room, and others are quiet and shy. And you say, "Oh, I'm just maybe God misses me." No, He knows your name. He knows everything about you. He doesn't overlook you. And if you were lowered on that mat, He'd say, "Son." order I just think that we need to be that as a Christian community not just worried about people filling seats but one person at a time ministry people with names people with stories now now this man had a physical need and it seems like that physical need drove his friends to get him in front of Jesus that's often the case Uh, Pain, heartache, trials, uh, loss, lack, (laughs) sickness. So it gets us to Jesus. and, and And I think that that's okay. Jesus cares about that. He wants us to care about that. Right, James says in chapter, James chapter 2, 14 through 17, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a man save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Jesus certainly cares. A lot of times it's physical and circumstantial needs that kind of ring the alarm in someone's life, right? So we can, we can, we can be all pious and be like, oh, you know, that's, there's bigger things going on, brother, and, and, and we're going to actually talk about that in a minute, but I, I think we've got to realize that, that sometimes that alarm starts ringing when the shoulder starts hurting, when the wife gets sick, when, when the, the son is in trouble, you know, when I lost my job, when I'm in a financial crisis, when my marriage is hurting, that, that alarm starts ringing, that I maybe need more than just myself. It's, it's actually the danger of always having continual health and prosperity. And not that I'm wishing for hard things, don't get me wrong. But, but if, if it's this life that is like easy street, continued health, continued prosperity, it, it, there's, a, there's a potential arrogance that comes with that. It says, I don't really need. And I think to that, the Lord says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. And, and these friends finally get their friend to Jesus. And his need is painfully o- obvious. Right? He's paralyzed, so he's laying down on a mat, not quite like the yoga mat, right? He's laying down on the mat, he's dropped in front of not dropped, hopefully not dropped, right? He's he's in front of Jesus, everybody's around, dust and dirt is swirling throughout the room. And clearly this man's need is obvious. He's paralyzed. Certainly that's his greatest need. This is actually pretty comfortable right now. Um, and, and, And I'm sure everyone in the room expected for Jesus to do what he has already displayed the power to do. And to heal the man's physical body, because that was his greatest need, or was it? And Jesus, like I said, what seems like oh, I've seen this, I, I've read this story before. Jesus heals, and, and but nothing's typical with Jesus. And this, Jesus sees the need beyond the need that's shouting the loudest. The need that's shouting the loudest is, I can't move. My body is broken. Or again, maybe it's, you know, I, uh, I'm having a hard time in my marriage or, or, or I'm in a financial crisis or, you know, or, uh, my loved one is sick. And that's the need that's shouting the loudest. And Jesus cares. But he also can see beyond the need that shouts the loudest. A far deeper need, a need that, that which, of which every other need sprouts from. You know, some people say, i got to admit, this always drives me a little nutty. They say, you know, death is a natural part of life. Can I be a jerk for a second and say that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard? Death is a natural part of life. Sickness and death are the antithesis of life. And, and the Bible teaches us that, that they're the result of walking away from God. They're the result of sin. Now, again, caution. We don't want to make the common religious mistake of saying, oh, Daniel is sick and he's very sick, so what did he do wrong? Because there's this direct correlation between this sickness and this sin. You know, that, that's often a mistake. Jesus calls that out. But at the same time, we can say all that is wrong with the world is our common experience of the consequences of walking away from God. Listen, a fire has been lit. And I don't care, like Billy Joel, we didn't start the fire, right? A fire's been lit, the house is burning, and we're all in that together. What do thing, bad things happen to good people? The fire's been lit. God didn't start it. We did. And the pain, the strife, the injustice, the trouble, the, the need, the sickness, the disease, the death. That's all what life looks like apart from God. God's like, I have warned you, this is life not being attached to the author of life. And it stinks in, in all those ways. It's ugly and it's hard and it's painful and it leads to death. So the root of this problem is never first and foremost the trouble or the sickness itself. It's this person's disassociation with God. And Jesus sees his deepest need, and his need is, is this soul need for forgiveness, for his debt of sin to be canceled, for him to be right with the Lord. And even if his limbs don't work for the rest of his life, it's that eternal soul that needs Healing. And eventually, made right with God will mean even if his limbs didn't work for the rest of his life, he's going to get a new body. It's all going to be complete in the end. And this is true for you as well. I don't know. You've been. Some of you are sick. Some of you have been sick. Some of you are in trouble. Some of you have all kinds of hardships and pains, and God doesn't make light of that. But they're all symptoms of a deeper soul disease, and our souls need healing. And we need to hear from Jesus, son, daughter, all your mistakes. My, one of my cousins, I've had a couple cousins die from drug overdoses. And my cousin, Jimmy, I just never, I was just pleading to him, Jimmy, Jesus can forgive you. And he's like, you don't know what I've done. I always remember that conversation. You don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter, Jimmy, if I know what you've done or not. God knows, and he still says, son, and he says, daughter, all your mistakes, all your failures, all your rebellion can be forgiven, debt canceled, obstacles removed, barriers removed, thrown as far as the east is from the west, dropped into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be held against you. Jesus knew what he was going to do on the cross. He knew what it was going to take. And some of you still need to hear that even this morning. Listen, son, daughter, when you come to Jesus, your sins are forgiven. He is faithful and just to forgive. That doesn't mean that all your temporary problems are going to instantly vanish. It means the internal and eternal part of you will be healed. And once that's healed, the Lord can start working on everything else. And everything else, whether in this world or in glory, everything else will eventually follow. I think as, as Jesus followers, we, we need to also neither ignore the need that's shouting the loudest but, or not be able to look past it. Say there's a deeper need in humanity. There's a deeper need in my son. There's a deeper need in my daughter. There's a deeper need in my friend.
1: Their soul needs
0: healing. All right, so more quickly. We only have a few minutes here. Verses 6 through 12. Are we doing okay? Are we doing okay? 6 through 12. This will be... Um, so now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Imagine that scene. <laughs> Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven. Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man, this this God-man, this human, he's associating himself with humanity, with us. Also probably reaching back to Daniel chapter 7, this this vision of this God-man. So that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth, which is where we need our sins forgiven, to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. (laughs) So Jesus pronounces this man's sins are forgiven. There's some guys there, these religious guys, the scribes, the teachers of the law... They, Mark chapter 5 verse 17 tells us that many of them have traveled in as far as Jerusalem to check out what Jesus is doing. And the reality is, is that they're absolutely right in their assessment. Only God can forgive sins. I've, got, I've, I've said this before. I can forgive personally. right? So if Nick offends me, I can forgive him personally. I do not have the authority to absolve him of every sin he's ever done. That's not my place. It's not my job. Only God can do that. They're right. We regularly sin against one another. We regularly need personal forgiveness to maintain healthy relationships. But all our offenses against others, against ourselves, against creation, ultimately are offenses to and against the creator God. David, when he had sinned, and he wrote, he penned this out in this psalm of, of repentance, this, this psalm 51. He had sinned. He had committed adultery. He had Uriah killed, uh, Bathsheba's husband. He had done these terrible wrongs. And then he says, this actually, I'll be frank with you. This sometimes bothered me. He says to the Lord, against you, only you, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And I'm like, What? Uh, What about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? What about... I don't think David's saying he's oblivious to the fact that he has hurt these other people and, and done terrible wrongs to these other people. But what he's saying is when I do wrong to Alan, not have I only done wrong to Alan, I've also done wrong to our mutual creator, the one that he's created in the image of. This next question I think we have to ask here, then, it has to do with the nature of Jesus himself. Either Jesus was, as they thought, blaspheming, acting out as if he's God, or acting in a way that only God can act, or he was, in fact, what? God. And that was just, like, too much to compute. I mean... This young, poor, itinerant preacher sitting in front of them, him being God, it seemed ludicrous. And it's terribly sad in our know it all self righteousness, religious piousness, that that we can become so short sighted that we can't see God working right in front of our eyes. And that's still true. R. Alan Cole says None are so blind as those who refuse to see. And Jesus, to wrap this up, Jesus asks a really interesting question. He responds not to what they say, but to what they what, think, which let me give you a hint. He's hinting, I think, that's a God thing. Let's have a conversation about what you're thinking. And, and he asks this really interesting question. He says, Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Which is easier? Okay, Okay. any other thoughts? I mean, we could really, it's really a fascinating question. We could look at this from a whole bunch of different angles. I, it's interesting. I, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because the reality of whether that's true or not takes place in a realm right now that as, as of yet can't be seen. So it seems harder to say, you know, take up your mat and walk, because then the reality of that has to happen in the scene, in the physical realm. But both are impossible for me. In my own power, both are impossible for man, which is easier. (laughs) Both are the jobs of God. But it seems like I wonder if he's teasing out this idea, what's easier to heal the symptom or the actual disease? What's easier to heal the body or the soul? But but as a testimony towards seeing, towards what's happened in the unseen, Jesus performs the miracle in the seen and heals a man's body as well. I was just, I can't imagine, you know, what's this guy looking like? What's his limbs looking like? Not using muscles for years, maybe rebirth. I don't know. And all of a sudden he's strong enough to get up and, you know. And then, and then he says, take your mat. It wasn't a yoga mat, right? Take your mat. And just imagine whatever this guy's, whether it was a big hard mat or they put him down on a cloth and takes his mat and, and you go. I thought, God still does that. You know what, my mat, doesn't have to be a mat of shame. Because now this becomes a testimony of who I used to be. Well, yeah, yeah, (laughs) this used to carry me around. And I was helpless. And I used to be paralyzed to my shame. I used to be paralyzed to my lust. I used to be paralyzed to my anger, or my bitterness, or my fear. I used to be, but now... Jesus has forgiven me. And I've been able to walk. And once again, Jesus astounds them all. And it's quite unlikely they understood really what happened. But they praise God, which was appropriate. I, I just I hope this morning and my prayer this morning is that we can come to the Lord to heal our deepest needs. And that we can minister to others. And, and not not ignoring the need that's shouting the loudest, caring, making room for the hurting, understanding it's the alarm that often sounds in someone's life that they're in need, but also saying, ah, oh, there's something deeper, brothers, There's something deeper, sister. And maybe you even need that healing this morning. And chances are it's not the need that's shouting the loudest. Let's pray, and then we'll welcome Daniel up. Lord God, we just, I ask that you help us to realize and see beyond what is seen and what is obvious and what makes the most noise and causes the most physical pain. And Lord, that we look to the source, to the root, to our disconnection from you. And that in that place, we hear you say, son daughter, I can make this right. I can forgive your sins. I can cancel that debt. And then that all of our healing flows from that place. And help us to minister to others in that way. And help us to be a community, Lord, that doesn't shoulder out the stranger or the hurting, but welcomes them to this Jesus that is always willing to be interrupted and always willing to look and see the individual and love them right where they're at. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.